Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. I think the overall message from the telling of Mabel's story is that miracles can happen. happens when one daughter in a set of twins is diagnosed with a congenital heart defect and the other twin is heart healthy? How can a family handle having one child in the hospital separated from her twin? What should families tell their children about their medical history? What is the value of sharing family stories? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and your host. I am also a heart mom to Alexander, who was born in 1994 and diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome when he was a baby. Alex is my inspiration and the reason I am the host of your program. I'm very excited about today's show to feature a special heart mom and heart dad. Today's show is entitled, Sharing Family Stories, The Value of Our Medical Histories, and our guests are Lisa and Michael Olivares. Lisa and Michael Olivares are parents to identical twins, Mabel and Maggie, born in 2013. The pregnancy was complicated by twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, and Mabel was smaller than Maggie. Two days after they were born, a nurse picked up a heart murmur in Mabel. She was diagnosed with coarctation of the aorta and had surgery at nine days of age. Just after her first birthday, Mabel was diagnosed with subaortic membrane and had her second surgery shortly before two years of age, followed by a third emergency surgery at four years of age due to heart and lung symptoms. At the age of four, she developed heart and kidney failure but has thankfully responded well to medical therapy. Mabel also attended physical therapy for musculoskeletal hypermobility, but she has graduated from physical therapy. Mabel loves playing dress-up and being outside in the fresh air with her twin sister, Maggie. She was nominated for Make-A-Wish, and the family spent a week at Give Kids World Village in Florida, where Mabel met her favorite princess, Snow White, at Disney World. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Lisa, and Michael. Thank you for having us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to have both of you. And I think we'll start with Lisa. Lisa, can you start by telling us about your pregnancy and the birth of the twins? After our first anniversary, we found that I was pregnant. And not long after that, we were surprised by we were having twins. (laughs) That would be a surprise. Do twins (laughs) in your family? They do on both sides. But we found out from the doctor that identical twins are not hereditary. Only fraternal twins are. So it was a big surprise. Oh, my goodness. Okay. How was your pregnancy? It was rough. I had several complications. I had severe edema in my legs. 
which mm. stopped me from working about a week before I went into labor. You're probably lucky that you made it that long. Yes. I went into labor in the morning. I was almost 32 weeks. Oh, wow. My water broke early in the morning. And by the time I got to the hospital, they had told me that my water had broke and I was in labor. My labor lasted about 15 hours, I believe. So and they weren't afraid for you to have the babies that early? No. Okay, no, so that's There was good. no no indications that anything was wrong. Okay. I had the girls. I was 32 weeks. It was very early on a Monday morning. And they immediately went into the NICU because of their size. Sure. How big were they? Maggie was 3 pounds, 11 ounces, and Mabel was 3 pounds, 3 ounces. So tiny. Yes. Mabel was like that throughout the whole pregnancy because I was being monitored for twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And Mabel ended up being on the small side the whole time. Mm -hmm. So she was being monitored a lot Mm -hmm. for that reason. And then it was two days after they were born that they had actually just been taken out of the NICU. Placed, I believe it was, what, the PICU? That makes sense. And then that afternoon, they had sent her back into the NICU because they had detected a heart murmur in her. So they ordered an echocardiogram, and that's when they found her first heart defect. Wow. That must have been really hard for you. So they didn't have the babies rooming in with you. Were you trying to nurse them? I tried. After they found Mabel's heart defect, I couldn't give her any kind of breast milk at all. With Maggie, I tried, but she wasn't very cooperative. So I ended up just pumping. Yeah. Well, that was good of you to even do that because it's so stressful to have babies, especially to have them early and for them to be in the NICU or the PICU. Either way, it's such a stressful situation that that can make pumping really difficult. Yes, it was. It, It was a challenge for me. Yeah, I think it would be a challenge for anybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael, what was it like for you to watch your wife give birth to the twins? I was astounded. I got a new respect for her, uh, the way she <laughs> handled everything. I was 39 when they were born. So this is very new to me. And I didn't know if I would ever have children. So <laughs> yeah, so it was um, really emotional for you, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was just like, I finally... I'm here and I'm going to become a father. I remember I was putting on the scrubs Uh and that was just the feeling I had. I was all by myself and it was like, I'm about to walk in that room and the staff was there and there was a lot of them and they put us at ease. I stayed by my wife because they asked me where I wanted to be. And I just said, (laughs) I'll just sit right by her. And I I held her hand Uh and they brought out Maggie first and Mabel second one minute after the other and they showed them both to us and then they whisked them away I guess they clean them up first and then they take them to their the incubators in Mm -hmm. the NICU Mm -hmm. we didn't see them for a little while but the fact that they were born and they had to stay in the NICU because they were so small Mm -hmm. it was different right from the beginning from when they were born because we didn't get to take them home right we had to go home without them Mm -hmm. and so Every day it was trips to the hospital. They were in the hospital, Maggie, for 34 days and Mabel for, I think it was 48 days. So um, one of us tried to be there at 
It, yeah, it was a long time. <laughs> and one of us tried to be there at all times. Mm-hmm. We brought Maggie home on Thanksgiving and Mabel was still in the hospital for one more week. So it was a little strange bringing one child home from the hospital and the other one is still there. There's a piece of you that's still missing. So. Right. And for the twin too, did they separate the girls right away? At first they were in the same little area. They Mm -hmm. had them next to each other, but then when Mabel was diagnosed and they put her back in the NICU, they were in separate rooms. So we'd have to walk down the hallway to get to either one. Yeah. They put Maggie in an intermediate area. It was a different room and Mabel was in the more intensive care unit side of it where they put them where they're first born and where the most extreme cases are, I guess. But then after Mabel had her surgery and she was recovering, they brought Maggie back and put her in the same area in the NICU. So we wouldn't have to go back and forth. Oh my goodness. So how many days was it before Mabel had her surgery? She was nine days old. Oh my gosh. It was really a week after. Yeah. Now, how long were you recovering, Lisa? I stayed in the hospital, I believe it was four days. So you were just really recovering yourself from having given birth to the twins and here your daughter's having open heart surgery. Yes, it was very What helped you get through that? Family, support, my husband. I always had somebody take me to the hospital so I could be... With both of them, I was always there day in, day out. My husband would come on his lunch break. He would come after work. We'd go home, eat, and we'd come right back to the hospital again. We are constantly there. And the support of our family also was a big help because when my husband wouldn't be able to take me to the hospital, one of the grandmas was always willing to take me and be there with us. So... Their support and their love really helped us get through it all. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Before the break, we learned about Mabel's birth and the journey she went on through her first surgery. Let's talk about Mabel's other surgeries in this segment. Michael, how did you know that something was wrong with Mabel's heart? that required the second surgery? What clues did you receive to let you know that she was going to need more surgery? For her second surgery in 2015, I don't know that there were any clues other than when we went to visit the cardiologist and they said, there's something we need to tell you. We have a second heart defect. And the first one was a coarc of the aorta. And this second one is a subaortic membrane. They explained it to us like it's a skin tag that attaches itself to the leaflet of the valve and stops it from completely closing when the heart pumps Mm. and which allows leakage of the blood that's trying to flow throughout so that her body's not getting enough blood and her heart is functioning at a deficit. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
So it's not like she was turning blue or fainting or anything like that. This just came from a regular doctor's visit. Yes. Right. There were no outward signs that time. It was different to come, as you'll hear soon. We've been on quite a journey with her. So I remember always asking the cardiologist, what can we do? What can we watch for? Is there anything we can do? Mm -hmm. And the answer was always, not really. We came home with a pulse ox and we tried to stay on top of her stats if we know that she's not feeling well. But the general tone that I got was that we couldn't do much. And so it was kind of hard as a parent. You want to do what you can. You want to try to help the situation or you want to keep her out of danger. Sure. There really wasn't anything we could do for her. So it was a tough pill to swallow. Did they make it sound that since she had a coarctation and they were able to repair that in the first surgery, that they were pretty much convinced that she would be okay and that you didn't have to worry about her heart? No. After the coarct, the surgery was a success. And they said, we'll revisit this and we'll be watching her throughout her childhood years. The second heart defect was a complete surprise and totally separate from the co-arc. So that was just another challenge separate from the first one. And they told us during that second surgery that the co-arc was fine and her aorta was pumping blood. Still, it was good. So Mm -hmm. it took really well on that surgery. It's just a a matter of the second Mm -hmm. heart defect. And how would that affect her going forward? And is there anything we can do? How can we watch her? We were in good hands because we had a great team of doctors. Her cardiologist is great. Her pediatrician is amazing. Mm -hmm. And we have really good relationships with all of her doctors. You could imagine all the time that we've spent in the hospital, we've met wonderful healthcare professionals. And in some cases, they work miracles. I agree. uh, (laughs) And especially nurses, there's some nurses out there that have that caregiving heart. And it's just magical seeing how they care for their patients. You just have to experience it. And we're forever grateful to all those people that took care of her with their whole heart. They love what they do. Yeah, that's a dedicated staff. Yes. What tests did they use? They always did an EKG and an echocardiogram. And that's when her cardiologist saw it. Okay. Wow. So then she had an emergency surgery. Lisa, tell me about her third emergency surgery. About a little over a month after having some pain under her left arm, we visited with her pediatrician and her cardiologist, and they couldn't determine through just regular tests what was going on, why she was experiencing so much pain that her cardiologist sent her to the hospital on Monday morning to have some further tests done. He wanted a CT scan and a specialized echocardiogram performed on her. So she was going to have to be put under anesthesia. When she was coming out of the anesthesia is when she started developing breathing problems and they had to put her on oxygen. Mm Mm-hmm. And so after a couple hours and being the post-op, they decided that they were going to admit her because she still wasn't getting enough air in her lungs. So we spent the night at the hospital. They ran some more tests. We were waiting back for the results from the two tests that she was there for. 
And it was the next morning that they determined that her second congenital heart defect had come back and had come back with a vengeance is what they said. Oh, no. And we had actually just seen her cardiologist two months before all this happened. And Mm -hmm. everything looked fine at that time. So it was a complete surprise. They needed to do the surgery right away. But when they were trying to figure out what to do, they found out that the surgeon that performed her first two surgeries was not available because he had just had surgery himself. Oh, no. So they had to find a surgeon in the area to perform her emergency surgery. And they called another hospital in the area, and it was determined that he was going to be able to perform the surgery. He actually pulled out of a surgery he was preparing for at the time and came over to the other hospital to meet us, to meet Mabel, and to take over her case. So in the process of getting her transported to the other hospital, she had coded. It lasted maybe a couple minutes. I was by myself at the time because I was going to ride in the ambulance with them. My husband and our family and Maggie had already headed over to the other hospital. So they had to call Michael back. And the air that they had put her on, the oxygen, it wasn't doing its job for her. That's why she had coded. So literally the anesthesiologist from the first hospital had to ride in the ambulance with us, pumping her the whole time until we got to the other hospital. Wow. We arrived and they were taking her back in to the surgery and she had coded again. This time it lasted, I think it was about 45 minutes or so. And they were finally able to get her stable enough to perform the surgery. They did a Roth and a Ross procedure on her. And then after the surgery, they placed her on the ECMO machine. She was on ECMO for four days. Oh, my goodness. During this time, they told us things didn't look good. They were preparing us for the worst. The surgeon told us, we want you to leave the hospital for a little bit, go across the street, get something to eat, take a breath. Because when you come back, things might not be good. So after four days, they decided they were going to take her off the ECMO and she had a 50-50 chance. So the night before we got ourselves ready, we had a family dinner in honor of her. And we went back to the hospital that night and we told her we're going to be there with her. And the next day they took her off and her little heart just started pumping again on its own, started doing its magic. And she pulled out of it. Along the way, she had several complications. She had kidney failure liver failure. So she was put on dialysis the whole time she was on the ECMO. She and had, that's what's scary is if they start to go into that multiple organ failure. Yeah. That's what the scary thing is. Yeah. Her organs were starting to shut down. Mm-hmm. She also had a collapsed lung during oh. that time. Wow. So yeah, she <laughs> she's a miracle. She really is. 
After well, she is. So she had over. the Ross procedure. And for my listeners who don't know what that is, that's where they put the good pulmonary valve in the aortic valve position. So that way, hopefully, it will grow with the child and you don't have to worry about it. And then they usually put an artificial valve mm-hmm. in the place of the pulmonary valve. That valve doesn't have to work as hard as the aortic valve does. Yeah. Did they use a bovine valve or did they use a mechanical valve? No, it was a donor valve. It was a donor, a donor valve. valve. Wow. Yes. Okay. Well, good. So she, she will have to have a future surgery mm-hmm. to replace the donor valve because that will not grow with her. But the good thing is that with her having the Ross procedure, the hope I'm sure is that she won't have the subaortic membrane return. Yes, that is the hope because at the time the surgeon was like, I got it. I got it out this time. Right. So, yeah. Wow. So far, she's still stable with everything, even the first heart defect. That's amazing. Michael, what are some of the complications that Mabel has suffered in the last few years? Well, not long after she got out of the hospital for her emergency surgery, which she was in three different hospitals for almost a month. Wow. Within about another month, we were back because there was a sign this time. Not only last time she had pain under her arm, Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden she gained about five pounds. Like in about two days, two or three Mm -hmm. days. And that's a sign right there. Sure. So we contact the cardiologist. She was bloated too. Very, very bloated. So I think we had a cardiologist appointment scheduled for Monday and we didn't make it because we had to go to the hospital. We just ended up taking her to the ER, to Mm -hmm. university because we felt safe there. They had basically saved her life. And those doctors and the staff know her and knew her and knew her condition. So that's why we went directly back there. (laughs) They saw us. They're like, you're back already. We're like, yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) So that was, uh, that was Valentine's day. So she was spending all the holidays, (laughs) (laughs) but when she was in the hospital for her emergency surgery and she was on the ECMO, this was in December. I was with her the morning that she woke up. It was Christmas night. I spent the night in her room in the PCCU. It's a dedicated pediatric cardiac unit. And she woke up in the middle of the night and she said, Mama, Mama, where am I? (laughs) And I said, Mabel, it's Dada. You're okay. You weren't feeling good. So we brought you to the hospital. You're feeling better now. So just go and try to get some rest. Okay. And she closed her eyes and went back to sleep. Oh, I'm so glad you were there for her. It was amazing. For that to happen Christmas night, it was magical. It was like, okay, she opened her eyes and this is like, she's going to make it. Yeah. After that, I knew she's going to make it. And her little personality is still there. She's still there. You could see the life coming back in her eyes. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, 
summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. In this segment, let's talk about the importance of sharing family stories and understanding our family histories. Lisa, why is it important for your girls, or really any of your family members, to understand what happened when the girls were born? Our family was with us since the beginning. When I was pregnant, after I had the girls, they'd been with us since the beginning. So they already knew Mabel was different. She was always going to be a little different. She was always going to have problems, heart problems. She was always probably going to be on medication. And just having them around and experiencing this with us, it just gives them knowledge of her condition. We want Maggie to know everything that Mabel's gone through because when me and Michael are not going to be around later in life, at least she's still going to have her sister and her sister will know what she's been through. I tell her that after she gets older, that I'm going to tell her her story of everything she's been through when she was young that she doesn't remember. I'm going to show her pictures so she knows what she's been through. And as she gets older and she starts having her own kind of voice, that she'll be able to tell people her story. I love that. Michael, can you share with my listeners why you wanted to share the girl's story with us and what you hope the girls will gain from you sharing their story with the world? I think the overall message from the telling of Mabel's story is that miracles can happen. That was my main takeaway is that it's not over until it's over. They were telling us that she might not make it. She pulled out and she was just a strong fighter. Why is it important? I think it's important because she has to live with this condition and she has to be monitored for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Mabel, at some point, will have to be more involved in her own care as she becomes an adult. Right now, we give her her medicine, and her medicine is what keeps her out of the hospital. We know she needs to take it every day, twice a day. So she'll be more involved in that as she gets older. And she has to be aware and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I need to take my pill. I need to take my medicine. We're almost there. <laughs> How old she's, is she? She's seven, right? She's seven. seven. Yeah. Yeah. She's getting she's to the still, age. She still fights us sometimes. Always ask us, mom, why do I have to keep taking this medicine? Maggie doesn't have to take it. That's got to be rough. Yeah. And we try to treat them exactly the same. It's not easy because when you have an ill child, the other child is going to hear us talking about their sick sibling a mm-hmm. lot just out of pure you know, nature of the situation, we have to have discussions about her care. So we have to be aware of her twin sister and let her know that we care about her just as much. And she's just as amazing because she's the sister of a heart warrior and her sister's going to need her. And she has been through an ordeal having her own twin sister in the hospital and being away from her twin sister and wanting so badly to be back Mm -hmm. together and to play with each other. I want them to know what happened when they get older. I've even tossed around the idea of creating a documentary about this. 
It's just that right now it's so close to the heart. It's painful. And reliving that every time, it's painful. But it's what makes us a strong family. We have made it through so many different things together. And I'm amazed at where we are right now. And another thing that I wanted to convey was that Mabel was showing some signs. She was pointing out some pain under her arm. Even if you think it's a small thing, it doesn't seem like it's in the area of the heart, but any little thing like that could be a sign. So I would say if there's any sign like that, have them see their cardiologist because with Mabel, they told us that she was doing okay. And two months later, she was in an emergency situation. So things can change overnight. Things can change in a heartbeat. And Mm -hmm. she's lucky her mommy and daddy trusted her and believed her and didn't make light of what she was saying because it's so easy to do that. Yeah. It was hard because we have children that get bumps and bruises because they're small. She was four years old at the time. So she's always bumping into stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Always falling. (laughs) So, but she was constantly coming back to us and saying, it hurts right here under my arm. So I'm so glad she made it because that would have been rough, really rough. And we were already like, wow, you wish you could do it better. Hindsight's 2020. But if I could spread the word and just say, even if you don't think it's something serious, it could be something serious. So get it checked out. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really good advice. And to trust our heart warriors because they really do know their bodies. That's something that has always impressed me with Alexander. He Mm -hmm. knows if something is wrong and he'll let me know. Mm -hmm. And you just really have to trust them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if you have any other advice for families who are living with children like your Mabel. Just love them both equal. I always tell the girls, I'm never going to choose between the two of you. I'm never going to love one more than the other, even though Mabel's been through so much and I just want to hug up on her all the time. I feel the exact same way for Maggie and I'm always going to be like that with her. I'm never going to make her not as important as Mabel is just because she doesn't have any heart condition. She's just as important to me as Mabel is. And to tell them that that sibling or that family member that they play a role in this too. We need them and their sister and their sibling needs them to be strong and to take care of them and to be there for each other. So each member of the family is important and plays a role when you have a child with a critical illness. Oh, I just love that. You are absolutely right. Those siblings play a vital role in our children's recovery. After Mabel had her emergency surgery. Of course, Maggie wasn't able to be with her the whole time. But when they transferred her to the third hospital for rehabilitation, we were finally able to join both girls together. And it was like they had never been apart. They were right back at it, playing together and just spending time together. And it, it was beautiful to watch. It is. Those siblings, they bring such joy Frustration sometimes too, but a lot of joy. (laughs) Yeah. And Maggie got to help with Mabel's rehab. So that was also extra special. That is extra special Mm -hmm. because it gives her a role. It's so hard to just sit back and not be able to do anything. So for her to get a chance to play a role, I'm sure it made her feel valued. Mm -hmm. 
and important. Yes. Well, this has been such a special episode. I really appreciate both of you coming on the program. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being a guest on my program today. Thank you for having us. We really enjoyed it. Michael, thank you so much for coming on and making yourself vulnerable. I think it's harder for guys a lot of times to talk about this than it is for us moms. So thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Thank you for having me and thank you for what you do. Oh, it's my pleasure. I tell you what, this is kind of like therapy for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to be able to talk to somebody who's been through it. Yeah. As opposed to just regular friends and family who haven't been there and haven't experienced like we have and like the grandparents have. It's nice being able to talk to somebody who's been through the same journey we have. Absolutely. And it's tough sometimes to go back there with family members. Like I said, my son is 26 and I start talking to you and it's like this happened to me yesterday. I still remember what the hospital smells like. I remember all the beeping sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember all of that, looking out the window at the people coming up to the hospital with their Starbucks coffee cups in their hands and wondering, (laughs) how can they act like it's a normal day? My baby had heart surgery. It just takes you right back there. But I loved what you said earlier about how this is what makes us stronger. You're absolutely right, Michael. This is what makes us stronger. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this week's episode, friends. If you enjoyed this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, please take a moment and visit our Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com slash heart to heart. Please consider making a monthly donation. A small monthly donation can make a big difference in enabling us to keep our podcasts available free of charge. That's www.patreon.com slash heart to heart. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. 